You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the greatest pod show, pod show, Jesus, I can't even talk. I can barely talk any day, let alone on Mondays. But anyway, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, today we have another, as usual, kick-ass podcast. Um, We're going to be talking with a buddy of mine, a good friend, Clinton Fawcett. I've known him for several years, and he films currently for bowhunting.com and the Bow Hunt or Die uh, web show. So if you haven't already, go check that out. We've recently um, done podcasts with uh, uh, Todd Graff and Justin Zarr, the host of that uh, web show. And uh, just so happens now we got another guy from that same uh, show on today. And uh, today we're going to talk about how Clinton uses, you know, what his strategy is um, on his family farm that he hunts in in Illinois, um, how he approaches every season, and, uh, you know, just kind of the ins and outs of his bow hunting year. And uh, that's what we're going to cover in the podcast today. Me and the wife went out uh, this past weekend, and we had what I'm going to say is one of the top five best days of shed hunting that I've ever had in about seven or eight hours we came across nine sheds um three of those let's see three of them were individuals and then the six others were match sets so we had a really good day matching up all the sets that we found and uh some of them were gimmies too we had two of those match sets that were right next to each other so it was literally hey there's a shed and then my wife comes over the hill and she goes, Hey, there's the other one. And they were within 10 feet of each other. So, uh, that's always fun too. And, uh, we got snow in the forecast, which by the time you're reading this, there's probably going to be about 40 inches of snow on the ground, depending on what part of the country you're in, uh, reading, listening to it. And, uh, so there is that, and you know, obviously a lot of snow makes shed hunting not so good. So I'm glad we got a really good day of walking in before the snow, and hopefully it melts a little bit before this weekend. So maybe I can take the kids out. It's going to be sloppy, but uh, at least we'll be able to get out. Now, I recently 
chatted with the owner slash president, Keith Dvorsnak of Ripcord Arrow Rests, about why their arrow rests is perfect for bow hunters. Well, we pride ourselves here at Ripcord on, you know, we're making a rest for hunters. We're, we're all hunters here at Ripcord. Um, all the, the, the folks that work for us hunt. And when we build a rest, what we want is a fully contained rest. When you're sitting in a tree stand, you're hanging it on a, on your bow hanger or something, let the wind blow, do whatever it needs to do. Your arrow is ready to go, especially out west. A lot of guys uh, spot and stock mule deer, antelope, elk. Um, you're getting in there. You put that arrow on. You cock it up. It is fully contained. It's not. It's not coming out. Um, Durability-wise, it's all built with stainless steel parts inside. Um, it's all aluminum cast inside, so there's, it's built tough. It, it endures cold weather, warm weather, blowing weather. It is ready. Your arrow is always locked, rocked, and ready to rock. If you guys and gals want to find out more information about the products that Ripcord offers and uh, much more information, visit their website, ripcordarrowrest.com dot com and uh, do a little research and then uh, buy one of the most kick-ass badass drop away rests that there is on the market so check them out now let's get into today's hunter profile podcast with my man clinton fawcett mr clinton fawcett how we doing doing good dan how about yourself Man, I, I tell you what, I can't complain. Uh, I went out uh, with the wife shed hunting yesterday, and uh, we found nine antlers. Um, and it was her, it was like her real first successful shed hunt uh, that she's ever been on. So uh, I don't know. I, I just had a blast yesterday finding antlers. Have you right, ever I, had? I, yeah, we've been there. I, I seen your wife's pictures on Facebook. Um, with her set of sheds she found she looked like she was pretty thrilled and i kind of had the same thing happen i took the wife and the kids out last week we actually went to just go pick up a, t- a couple trail cameras yeah. um and on the way we almost ran over shit antler in the minivan so <laughs> the wife says stop right up in front of us is a big five point side off 160 inch 10 point so oh she was boy. super excited that she found that before i ran over it and before i saw it so yeah, we, we, we found eight that day. We had a uh, a great time. It's fun to get the family out, for sure. Amen. You've been out on any solo missions? Um, that same day when when I got back, Frankie and I went out, um, and we found a set um, to a three-year-old eight-point that we that we hunt, that we had around this year. And Frankie actually could have shot him and filmed him quite a bit, and he uh, he scored 149 inches with a three-year-old eight-pointer, so pretty excited about that deer. Oh, um, but that but that was the only I only thing I found. We found six out of literally six out of the minivan, driving into the farm to pick up two cameras on this grass road, and then we struggled. Besides that, so so all those sheds on that one day were found from the minivan just driving just driving to the trail cameras. Yeah. So I <laughs> so, so we literally pulled off the road into the farm, and I haven't been right. shed hunting because I've been waiting on my brother in law to be able to go with us. Right. And uh, we pulled in. I said, look, there's one. I kind of said something in my, and my four-year-old little girl, Hadley, spotted it out the window. She goes, Dad, there's a horn. It was just a little three-point side, but 
she spots, she's a very good noticer. She notices everything. She never misses anything. So she jumped, I opened the van door. I luckily had the DSLR sitting there on the floor. So I filmed it. So we'll have it, you know, when we get older, but she runs out there and picks it up. And meanwhile, I saw another one while she was getting that one. And it was a set. I went over and picked it up and there was a set there off of a, a deer that I passed up late season, a big 10 pointer. And then we drove on back to get the cameras and found the other four, uh, or let's see the other three on the way back there. So Holy cow. they were all out in the, in the green grass on the field road. Well, I tell you what, the, uh, those, uh, those days don't come very often. No, no. I no. feel like when it comes to shed hunting, I'm, I'm usually at the end of the day, tired with no sheds. <laughs> right. Good exercise. Keep yourself skinny. <laughs> and try, try to do a little bit of scouting, but normally don't find anything. I mean, Frankie always whips my butt. He'll find 30 a year, and I'll find five. So right. it was crazy for me to find, to be involved with finding the six and also find two more when we got home. And the, and the coolest part was um, both the sets were off gear that, we, that Frank passed up or I passed up, and then um, the other, uh, Emily found a nice four-point side off an eight-point that my brother-in-law Ty, I happened to be with him one night hanging out filming, and he passed him up. So just kind of cool story stuff. It's nice to find them to deer that you know. Right. That's a fact. Well, before we get into this any further, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us where you live and what do you do for a living? Like you want aerial coordinates, you know, to Google Earth, or what are you looking for? <laughs> no, just like <laughs> you, you live in Illinois. Yes, I'm uh, Clinton Fawcett, of course, with Bowhunter Die and Bowhunting.com, and and I'm from Fulton County, Illinois, and I live outside of a small town called Ipeva. Right. But but, but you're not full-time for Bowhunter Die, right? What do you... No. Heck no. I'm a union union electrician with Local 34 out of Peoria, and I work for Oberlander Electric. Right. So I remember our... uh, We were sitting down in... uh, at a bar at the ATA show this year and you were sitting there going, all right, Hey, see that lighting right there. That's this, this, and you're telling me all the, yeah, this would take about four days to do. Yeah. I, I can wire all that, all the fiber optics. I can wire all this, this, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is my, that's what I, I've fallen into. I, I rebuild, uh, not just myself, but the group of guys I work with, uh, we build big buildings and I just happen to be the boss when they let me be most of the time they run themselves. I don't have to do anything um, besides just try to understand how fast the technology is advancing and how to right. get everybody the stuff they need. So gotcha. that's what we do. If we build hospitals, arenas, uh, like civic center complexes, hotels, I mean, you name it, full building nice. automation stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's a great job. It allows me to go hunting. I work for a great company that, that lets the group of guys that I work with, um, you know, as long as the jobs are going good, everything's going good. We take turns getting away. We want in the afternoons to go hunting. And, you know, so far so good. I think I've been there 11 years and it's, it's, uh, worked out really well so far. Awesome. So how was your 2016 season this year? Uh, it, it was pretty good. We're still recovering a little bit from the EHD. We just can't seem to get away from it. Um, so our buck numbers are still on and overall our deer numbers our deer numbers are, are still down. Um, but, but we had a good season. We killed two bucks. Uh, I shot one and Frankie shot one. Um, Frankie, by the way, for anybody that 
listening. Frankie Clark's the guy that I film with, um, Bow Hunter Die, so you'll hear me refer to him quite a bit. But Frank and I had a, we went, I think it was November 5th, and uh, we went in the morning, and Frank rattled in a deer, um, and we killed him. And after we recovered, we recovered that deer around lunch, Frank's like, heck, let's go ahead and go back out. We'll go to a different farm, which we never do. We always just try to take our time after we shoot one enjoy it enjoy the you know the whole process of finding it and recovering it and, and just soaking it in we usually try not to get in a hurry because that's one thing i used to always be real bad about was just not sitting back and enjoying it and uh for some reason we decided to go back out we didn't get in the tree till like 4 30 we went there 20 minutes and i shot one. Oh boy uh, nice 140 inch eight point uh frank's was like 140 inch nine point um so it was a great day we had several other opportunities uh late season and throughout the rut where we could have killed other nice deer, um, just not deer we're looking for, and we're trying to kind of lay off of them because of EHD and not be too right. gun-ho on. You know, we haven't shot any of those for three years. Um, it, it, there's just a big gap in there in, in the buck population right now. So on the farms that you're hunting, and you said that EHD played a kind of a toll in uh, killing a lot of deer, what was there a was it a a really big noticeable number drop from before EHD hit the area? Yeah, it's I. Now we argue about this a lot, but I would, in my estimation, I think we lost sixty percent of our deer herd here at my house. Sixty percent. Yeah, yeah, That's I think big. we lost sixty percent of them. Um, you know, we've got uh, between. The farm that I take care of and the farm that, that my father owns on our side, it's uh, 300 acres. And then our neighbor, um, Drew, on the backside, owns, I believe it's 900. So we've got a pretty big chunk. It doesn't have a ton of timber on it. There's probably three or 400 acres total. Um, but, you know, we take really good care of it. And right. we found 100 in this, in that, in just in that total area. 100 dead deer. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, That's, and, you know, uh, Drew, crazy. you know, Frank and I's in the woods a lot. Drew isn't in the, in the woods a whole lot. So all of, you know, most of his stuff is stuff he stumbled upon or stuff that was out in the field. Um, you know, other neighbors and the farmers. And it was over the first year we, we had lost like 60. And then, the, and then the very next year we got it again and it was like 40. Man. Um, but there was only a couple big deer that survived it. A couple, and, and when I mean big deer, I just mean mature deer, you know, four year old deer and older right that survived the whole thing and two years ago we had a really good season and we we put a hurt on them and we killed every mature deer um except one that had survived ehd or you know could have been a two or three year old when it hit yeah and there wasn't many of them and we took them we just it was one of those years where everything fell together so yeah you know this year we have a lot to pick from which is what fine. did uh what is the DNR doing or saying, uh, you know, cause obviously a disease like that, you really can't control too much. Um, how do you, what, what is the DNR in your area saying about that? Are they changing uh, tag limits or anything like that? No, they haven't yet. They, they have not changed tag limits. We still have, uh, unlimited doe tags with your bow, I believe. Um, and then you've got the, you know, you can shoot does with your shotgun tag. So we got uh, first shotgun season, which is the week before Thanksgiving. And we've got second shotgun, which is the week after Thanksgiving. Then we've got a late doe season, which is um, New Year's weekend. 
And then okay. we've got another late doe season, which is the final weekend of the deer season. So usually, I think it's always the third weekend in January. Sometimes it's around the 20th, sometimes around the 15th, somewhere in between. Yeah. There just depends uh, what the year is falling on. But So, yeah, they haven't done a whole lot. And, okay. you know, you can drive around. It used to be, you know, before the HD hit back in the day, you could drive around and see. I mean, there, but you, I could go show you 150-inch deer every night. If you wanted to come over, right. we could jump in the truck. I mean, how, do you want to see five? Do you want to see ten? You know, you could just drive with on an hour drive around the area. And now it's it's some nights it's hard to see just ten deer. Right. So, Man, that is crazy. Yeah, it's 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 really different, but it's coming back. And as long and you know, I live in a great area. It's got a lot of, you know, we got a lot of people that manage their deer or not so much manage it to always kill big deer, but are conscientious about what's going on. So they're not always just, you know, whacking and stacking or whatever everybody right. wants to say, you know, they're, they're right. you know, they know, even the farmers notice and they want them all dead. So they don't eat their corn. And even they're like, man, if they don't see any deer anymore. Right. So, um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, I mean, it sounds like you live, in ag country but talk to us a little bit about the terrain the layout of some of these farms that you hunt okay well you know like i said it's it's in southern fulton counties where we're at and we have mostly ag total i would say it's probably 75 percent ag and 25 percent timber um where we're at down here we don't have any huge uh really steep draws but it's real rolling with big valleys um, you know, you get more down into Schuyler County, you get the real steep ups and down draws. Um, mostly, mostly big oak timber. And if you get in any thickets, it's hedge and cedar. So most, most of the timber is mixed in certain spots with the hedge and cedar, but predominantly it's, it's bigger oak ridge, uh, type gotcha. stuff here at the house. I've got a big pasture beside the house that we've been doing a lot of, well, I guess just say big, it's probably about 40 acres total. Uh, 20 acres of grass and we've been really working on it the last three years uh, planting switchgrass burning it off trying to thicken it up just just to get more habitat to try to get more does and get this deer population built back up um, a couple other we got a farm at Smithfield Illinois solid 100% oak, oak timber with with less agriculture and then uh, our other farms up towards Macomb and it is right out on the middle of nowhere and you can see 10 miles from the tree stand in whichever direction you want to look. There's just a couple small blocks of timber, and, and we've had pretty good success up there. It's, it's interesting watching them transition from the big woods out into that wide open uh, for the evenings and then come back in the morning. So, Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about how you approach – every season right so the hunting season's over now we're in the we're in the mix of uh shed hunting right now how do you go about starting off because really right now is the start uh of the 2017 season if you're if you're a hardcore guy like us what are you doing this time of year and maybe talk us through what you're what you're going to be doing in the spring and in the summer Okay, well, well, normally, normally this time of year, I'm I'm shooting snow geese first of all. Now the snow geese have all left, so I'm not doing that now. But normally I start shooting snow geese and then try to shed hunt a little bit on the side. Um, then we start shed hunting uh, about usually I wait till the first of March, and then 
after that, I usually get a wild hare and do some hinge cutting and always try to find something to do to do some habitat improvement. Now, this year, uh, it's been really warm. You know, it's been warm everywhere uh, the last couple of weeks. So I've actually got all of my food plots worked under, all of our standing beans. I've got them all turned over. Every food plot we have, uh, I, I've got it worked under. So that's great because I'm ahead. Now, on a normal year, I, I would have that ready. Um, in a few weeks, I'd be working on it. And then we, I would start planting corn and soybeans probably around, you know, the middle of April is what I would try to do. And we yeah. plant, we roughly got about 15 acres spread out over three farms of standing soybeans and corn that we do. Um, and then I'd work on that all summer. And then in the fall, I would plant oats and rye, radishes, turnips. Now, you know, you're soon to find out. When you have kids, I mean, you already know a little bit, but when they get older and get in sports and stuff, you just get super busy. And, you know, with my little boy, he's big into football, and I'm the JFL football coach. So my falls have just become crazy. So I don't have time anymore for for oats, rye, radishes, turnips, any of that fall stuff, which I have great success with. But unfortunately uh, for the deer and for my hunting, I'm going to have to stop doing that. Fortunately for my family and the football team and the people I help out, that's just the way it's going to have to work because I have to learn to be more efficient. So right now, back to now, like we were talking, I'm I'm getting ready to turn almost all my fall food plots into clover. Okay. Because it's a little bit more maintenance mowing it during the summer, but it's time that I can control, right? So, you know, I I can control, hey, the kids aren't home, I'm going to go mow clover instead of, Hey, it's September 1st. I need to get the oats in the ground. It's getting ready to rain. I know the kids got football practice, but you know, I got five acres of oats to plant. Uh, what, you know, and I always make the wrong decision because the oats always come first. You know, I, I just, I'm not capable of keeping myself out of it. So right now, just this week in the last three days, Friday morning, I woke up, I went bass fishing. I came home, got on the tractor. I worked three acres of ground. I unhooked from the, I, unhooked from the disc hooked up to the mower i mowed two ridge tops down that are taken over with multiple rows about four acres and i lit them on fire and burn it then i planted four acres of switchgrass yesterday i got the chainsaw out and started trimming a new spot for a stand that frank and i have been working on and this afternoon i loaded all the kids up and we went and finished that up so right now i'm trying to get more tree stand fall stuff done now um yeah been doing it in august and september so do you have, how many total acres of food plots do you plant in a year? Uh, if you include our sunflower patches for doves, we're probably around 30 acres. Just deer hunting stuff, we're probably at about 20. Okay. Now gotcha. with the clover coming on and putting more clover, now that's, you know, that's spread out over three different farms um, and, well, and Frankie's farms too. So, you know, gotcha. you're, you're talking you're talking quite a bit. And right here at the house, we've got 15 acres on, on 300 acres of ground, okay. which has got about a hundred acres of timber on it total. Gotcha. So then, so now it sounds to me like you're kind of, uh, transitioning into the, uh, you know, you're transitioning away from your fall food plots. You're, you're planting more clover. So, uh, all you have to do is mow it. What are you doing? Um, at when the sun, as the summer gets, rocking and rolling and you're done planning let's say um when do you start running trail cameras when do you start uh you know putting together that hit list for the upcoming season well usually we get out about i would say beginning of july into june 
and I start getting some cameras out, out and about, um, and trying to get some pictures. And most of our pictures come from the same spots. We get them every year, uh, fence crossings, um, you know, some soybean patches, uh, right behind my neighbor's house. They got a water hole right behind. I mean, it's literally 15 yards from the back door and I get, they, they don't live here full time. And, and I get just an absolute ton of pictures in that one spot. So that, that's what we're doing most summer. And in a normal year, I would be doing tree stand work. I would be getting ground ready to plant radishes and turnips in July. And then I would come back and plant oats and rye in September. The, the rotation that I do, which, which has been very successful for us is I, I've got all my, every farm, I've got a destination fall late season food plot on it. So I've got either a couple acres of beans or a couple acres of corn or something for the deer late season. And then also on that farm, I try to keep it close to the other food plot, or, or I might try to, you know, say I've got it where I can hunt one food plot with a south wind. That would be more of my early season stuff, and my late season stuff would be more set up for always Norse because you get a lot more Norse later in the year. Um, but I always, I, I always come back in that, in that fall food plot set up and plant half of it in radishes and turnips and the other half of it in oats and rye. And then every year I flip-flop them. And it's been great. It, it takes care of your soil. It's great for the soil. It provides a ton of food. It's very diverse, which which the deer love because not all of them want to eat the same stuff. The problem is, is it's a lot of work. I mean, I'd recommend doing it to anybody because it, it, it is great. It, it is a great practice, and we have killed a lot of deer um, since we started doing it that way. But like I previously said, unfortunately, you know, I, I got to find more time somewhere, and that's where it's going to be at. Yeah, is getting rid so. of that part in the fall because it's gotcha. it's very time sensitive. You got to catch a rain. You got to get it in there sometime between the third week of July and the first week of August on the rashes and turnips, and then you got to come back and be in there in September. You know, the first week of September with the oats and rye. And if you get them in too early, they get too tall. You get them in too late, it doesn't work out, and it's just it's yeah. a crunch. So then you know kind of back to you know after you get these these uh, food plots planted on a, on a normal year um and you start you know going in for pictures and stuff do you have a uh, a good idea of or put together a a technical hit list so to speak like you have a you have a conversation with yourself or whoever you share the property hunting properties with. And you say, okay, this buck is a shooter. This buck is a shooter. This buck's off limits. He's only three. Do you have, do you put together a hit list or is it all from the stand? Um, yes and no. I have a hit list for myself because I, I, I'm not, I like shooting big mature deer. So right. that's my goal. My goal is nothing but a, a big deer that I know is at least four years old or older. And sometimes I struggle with shooting them that have small racks that are that old. Like yeah. that's just myself. Now, Frankie, he's a killer and he likes to shoot stuff. And I used to control or try to control what he shot. And, you know, we've been filming together for, I, I think, eight years now, eight or nine and, you know, I come to a point a few years ago where it's not fair for me to define what the definition of hunting is to somebody else. So if there's a giant three-year-old, he knows that he's not supposed to shoot it. 
and he and he doesn't. You know, he passed up that 149 inch eight point without me with him. He had our buddy Matt Miller with him, and and they could have shot the deer, and they didn't, which was great. Um, but but he just, you know, he knows some three year olds he'll shoot them if if they're not don't have a lot of potential. He might be on it. And uh, our other buddy Mike that hunts with us, he hasn't killed near, near as many big deer as we have, and he's kind of you know whatever he feels like. You know what I mean? Because that's. Yeah. I feel like as in the outdoors where we've created this huge false truth to what everybody should be shooting. And, and, you know, not every farm's got great deer on it. And, you know, that's a whole story in itself, but right. back to the hit list thing, I have one specifically for myself. Normally I know what deer it is year to year because we just don't seem to pick up that many new deer, especially since EHD, because there's just not that many deer that are getting pushed out of other farms to move into new places yeah. because there's still, you know, when the cup was full and everything was overflowing, there was a lot of deer showing up right. five years ago. Now that the cup's halfway full in the prime time spots, those deer are staying, and they're just, the you know, the, the habitat hasn't got to where it can't support any more deer yet, so nothing's leaving. And that's gotcha. the same way five miles away, so you're not picking up anything new. Right. So I've noticed, and, and you you just kind of answered my question, uh about what I just want to ask, but I can get a ton of awesome mature bucks, um, visiting my mineral stations in the summertime. That's where I get all my big mature, um, uh, deer pictures. Uh, but when fall hits and the crops come out, I experience on my farm, a gigantic shift in where the deer are living. And it kind of just throws everything into a, uh, a switch and some of those bucks stay some of them leave and then all of a sudden i have new bucks show up uh, after the crops come out is there a a shift uh in your area as far as where the you know once the crops come out yes i mean for sure a, a lot of the spots that we get all of our buck pictures um are is out in the wide open you know, they like to get away from the timber, it seems like, in the summer and get out in the wide open fields and fence rows or a little bitty willow draw that's got water in it. They just like to get out there in the big bachelor groups. And, and you'll go out there and set a camera, and you'll get a lot of pictures. And if I put a camera here on the 300 acres of the house, I, I don't necessarily get a lot of big deer ever in the summer. But if I go a mile and a half away and run cameras out on the farmer's ground where nobody hunts, you know, it's just fields and run them in fence rows, I'll get all those deer. And then, you know, come 1st of September, here they come. And then they're all back, and they normally go back to their original spot where they stay every fall. Unless it seems like you get one of them three-year-olds that turns into just, you know, a mean sucker and starts pushing them older, bigger deer around, which which does happen happen yeah. quite a bit. The, the only time that I really get new deer that, that show up is around Christmas. I've got a couple big deer that I know about that they, they show up around Christmas every year and they're always here. I mean, the last three years we've never killed them. We can't, we can't seem to kill them. I had one killed two years ago and he shed his horns the night before on me. I, I went in and checked a camera on the way to work and he was there. He showed up the day before Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve. I went home. I checked the camera. I went the day after Christmas. He came in and he lost his horns already and he was Man. a giant. But but we, we, we seem to have new deer show up a lot more late season. Now, back when we had a lot of deer, 
and I was running cameras, you know, not near to the extent that I run them now, but five years ago when I was running a few cameras, there was new deer quite a bit during the rut. But even now with it, you know, our farm's real long, man. It's like two mi- a mile and a half long, and it's not very wide. Okay, so our neighbor owns the other half of it. He owns the widest part. We own the skinniest part, but they're about the same length. So a lot of the deer that are on the south, they might move a mile and a half and be on the north, you know, from the begin from the beginning of September until when the rut starts, they might shift one in the farm to the other. But right. with us having such a long, the, the farming so long, I, I, you know, they're normally in the same spots right. year to year. I just keep pretty good track of them. So with that, with that said, are you hunting any early season before the crops come out or are you biding your time waiting for the crops to come out and then jumping in? No, we, we go full bore right off the bat. It, we now, we love the first seven, the first week of season, if you can get. You know, last year I killed one opening night. Um, this year I shot a big deer in the shoulder opening night. Um, we we, so we then, try to get on them right off the bat. So you're, how are you doing that? Are you monitoring trail cameras and trying to find a pattern? Yes, I... I run a lot of cameras on time-lapse. So if I've got a stand or a box blind or something that we're going to hunt that's on a food plot, that let's say it's radishes and oats and rye or clover, some type of early season food plot that they're getting on, I will, I will run a camera on a scrape somewhere on that food plot. And, and a lot of times, you know, they get those scrapes started as soon as they lose their velvet, and then they kind of lay off of them. So like the first week of September, you'll find some, and then they kind of back off of it. But they'll still hit them a little bit, the licking branches and stuff. And what and what we do a lot is I'll put a camera on that, and I try to get it up in a tree or somewhere where they're not noticing it. And then I'll just leave it there. And then I'll run a camera on time lapse, either up in a tree, somewhere that's out of the road where I can drive my truck to it, and either take a ladder and climb up the tree, you know, six or eight foot up where I got the camera on time lapse where it shows the whole food plot, or climb up in the blind I got on the front of it, and I'll start checking checking cards to see what there is and we usually do that anytime we can get rain or the wind dry within within the last week of september and we've got with all of our farms spread out it seems like it seems like we can usually find one somewhere that's doing it and it doesn't happen very often you know if you just had one farm like here at the house we never do it you we just we can't kill one early season here we just haven't we've never been able to other farms, it seems like we usually get one on it, but that's what we do. We, we get the food in there, we get a camera on a scrape, we get a camera up on the blind or up in a tree somewhere I can drive the truck close to it. If it's raining and I can get in there, I'll go get the one off the scrape and just take it off there and see what's been hitting it. And then I'll also run the one off the box blind or off, off up in the tree that's on time lapse. And then we'll try to get in there depending on what the weather is and try to hunt them right off the bat because you can still get in there that first week. It's probably the first 10 days depending on what the weather is and we, we've we've had really good luck killing deer early gotcha so then you are you're all right hold on one second i'm sorry oh, that's um, fine uh, my wife just started the shower and it's really loud so <laughs> you better go in there second. with her yeah right well with my kids oh yeah you already got another kid on the way too right yeah i know hold on one second all right Okay. Yeah, Molly's got 
Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. I all right. Let's see. Where were we? Um, okay. Yeah. Early season tech tactics. So then are you early season? Are you hunting no matter what? Or do you base it off of like a cold front coming through? Because you mentioned wind and rain. So do you typically hunt on a, a cold front coming through? Or is it 100% based off of trail camera info a, a little bit of both we always we try to hunt no matter what early season because we're all gunned up ready to go but we really won't go in after a specific buck unless we've got the weather weather right and for sure the wind 100 percent correct frank and i both work and w- whenever we go hunting at night a- after work it's straight from work so it's straight from work straight to the tree or, or to a blind or whatever we're trying to get to so you know we we got to have the wind right because we stink. I mean, there's no – when you've been at work all day, there's no getting clean no matter what you try to do, even if your right. clothes are clean, anything you try. So we'll watch the weather. I, I love hunting when it's rainy and dreary. We, we've had great luck in the in the past hunting those. And, you know, of course, sunny, high-pressure evenings are always, are always great too. But some of them big deer early, they'll just get on that pattern where they're just going. They're just kind of in dumb mode still, and they don't realize it's like they forgot what kind of what time of the year it is, and they just get lumbering around. Now it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you'll find them that way. Um, and we get in there, and get them, and it seems to the one thing I notice is it normally happens on the same farm. It's like those deer have a different personality bred into them than than other deer in other places. Gotcha. All right. So, so then when do you start hunting mornings? We, we never hunt mornings till the last week in October. And we never hunt mornings after the first shotgun season starts. So we only hunt mornings for a month between the end of October and Thanksgiving or the week before Thanksgiving. Now, is there a reason for that or is it all based off of like, historical uh encounters and stuff like just that. historical encounters one and it just seems like we have a really hard time getting into spots um and not blowing the deer out and that's Especially, because major- that's because the majority of all the farms you hunt are ag right so there's correct. deer and, there's deer in every field right and you just can't you, it, it's hard to get underneath of them to get in there. Now, there's certain spots that we do that we can, but but we just try to avoid them. Um, we've got a couple farms with acorn flats that we can hunt in the morning. It's just we have to have an east wind to do it, and rarely do we get one. Now, if we had that east wind and it was early season, we would go. We We, we would be there, and we would hunt it. So I can't say that we never go until the last week of October, but 99% of the time, we don't go to last week, October, hunting in the mornings. And then we hunt from then until the week before Thanksgiving. And then the other rule that we have is after Thanksgiving, you're never allowed to go back in the timber and hunt 
or go in the timber unless you're trailing a deer that you've shot. Because okay. we try to let all the gun hunters around push all the deer into our big sanctuaries and come to the food, and then we strictly hunt only food plots after that. And the only right. time we go in the woods is if we shoot a deer or when we go shed hunting in the spring. Gotcha. So you lay off your timber for, what, like three or four months? Right. Like we, we don't hunt it the first part of, of September. We hunt it, or the first part of October, excuse me. We hunt it from October until let's just say let's just say thanksgiving you know thanks and then after thanksgiving we stay out of it Gosh, we no do not go what. back in it no matter what unless you kill a deer you don't go down there so what about unless you're on a uh, blood trail what about and i'm i'm throwing just like hypotheticals at you but big buck shows up on a trail camera and uh you think it, he's not coming out until maybe 10 minutes after shooting light you won't jump down into a pinch point or a staging area Nope. We just wait till we get a cold front and hope he comes out sooner. Our farms are all, all of our food plots are on the top. Okay. And as soon as you walk through the food, like when you walk, let, let's say you're at my house, you're going back to the woods. When you walk from the house, the first thing you encounter is the food plot or a gotcha. food plot or the edge of the timber. And then it immediately drops down and goes into a big bottom. Okay. So when you're, if, as soon as you walk over that hill, they can see you. And with the amount of food that we've got and the the way the sanctuaries and the thickets lay out, it is just pretty tough. It, it's pretty tough getting anywhere. Right. Now, now this year a guy could have been different because it was really warm and they never really got on the food very well. So, you know, this year you possibly could have tried it, but we just, I, I hate, it just ruins the hunt for me if we blow one out. I just can't hardly do it. Right. Okay. So do you base a majority of your uh, hunting strategy throughout the entire season around the food plots and when the deer are visiting those food plots? Uh, early season for sure and late season for sure. During the rut, we've got certain spots we'd love to get down in the timber that are historically good that we know um, from past pictures from the year before or from the past couple of years on some certain deer that, that they're in that area, usually around that time. And then we just go down there and go for it. We try not to hunt the food um, during the rut. We try to just get in the timber, even if it's in the afternoon. Um, we still try to push down in there and just go for it because I just feel like you're, if you can get in areas that are thicker um, and certain travel corridors, you, you just got a lot better luck killing a big mature deer at yeah, that time of year for sure one thing that you know I, I try to consume a lot of hunting content whether that's you know web shows or tv shows or other podcasts and one thing that i i don't ever hear guys talk about or as much is access routes to tree stands or blinds or whatever and i'm a huge advocate for it's almost like finding the access route is almost more important than finding the the right tree stand location. How important every year, you know, is, is access to your stands or your blinds? Well, I agree with you hundred percent. The the very best spots on my farm and on and on all of our farms, we never hunt them because we don't have great access to get in there. I agree with you hundred percent. You're better off hunting a bad spot with great access than the best spot with bad access. You might get lucky 
ever, you know, and stumble into one down there in a rut that you didn't blow out getting in there. But access is 100% by far the most important thing, in my opinion, that, that you can have for anything. Right. Um, it's like planting a food plot in a, you know, you can have the greatest food plot in the world and people do it all the time. I've seen it everywhere around here. I used to do custom food plots for guys. They'll want them in the, and it'll be the, it'll be the, they'll be 60 deer on it. But if you got bad access and you got to blow them all out when you leave, it's the worst thing you could do for your deer hunting because right. it's, it, you're, you're just, you know, it just doesn't help anything out. And the same way with going hunting in the morning, you know, we, this time of year, I get the tractor out with the brush, brush hog on it. And that's everything I'm doing. I'm going and mowing logging roads. I'm going and, and with the chainsaw and I'm trimming lanes back to getting stands. You know, almost all of our stands, we access them via creek or a ditch. Okay. Almost all of them. We very rarely do we walk across any ridge, high spot, anything. We use every low spot we can find. We stay, you know, down at, off off the tops anything and normally i have them trimmed very well because if you watch an old doe when she comes through with if you touch that twig with your fingers she smells it they don't i don't think they pick your boot tracks off near as much as people think i think they pick off where your pant legs touch the brush so i've got them trimmed beyond trimmed i mean i keep them five foot wide i don't want to hang them you know how it is filming you got so much stuff you're carrying it makes so much noise you got two guys going yeah. You know, we just try to keep it very clean. But I will agree with you 100% on that all day. Access is a key, absolute key to being consistent on killing big deer, 100%. So let's say you, I don't know, do you do, you do any run-and-gun type setups throughout the year, or are are your tree stands in uh, historically good spots or, or over pre all pre-hung because you got food plots and whatnot? Most of the, you know, we've been hunting in my, I killed my first deer behind my house when I was nine years old and we're still hunting within 10 yards of the same spot gotcha. that I killed that deer. Now we've got a couple other farms that, that you can see a long ways. And if we see one, we don't have no problem getting and going after them. Right. But we always start out in historically, historical good spots, rut spots, stuff that we've been hunting a long time but a lot of the new a lot of new farms are pick up something smaller you know we might see one somewhere else we we will go get them we don't have any problem you know stacking everything up and taking off and getting after them but as far as you know we've been out in the same place for so long or same places you know we just kind of sit them out wait them out right and that's you know you mentioned something that kind of relates to um annual patterns right so you know like you said that buck that that buck that comes back every year on christmas or or, you know finding annual patterns have you noticed over the the length of time that you've hunted that this farm how old are you now i'm 35 okay you're 35 and you've you've killed your first deer on that farm when you were nine that's a long time over the years especially when you started recognizing and understanding deer movement did you notice any trends not in, not necessarily with big bucks but for the deer herd or deer movement in general yes <clears throat> um for sure here at the house the rut starts earlier so so here at the house we, we consider we have we hunted as three main doe groups Okay, so on the south end of the farm, we consider that one main doe group. And we've got a, like a late season food plot there and early season food. Then you go quite a ways up the farm, and in the middle, we've got a couple food plots close together. 
and we consider that the middle doe group. You go on to the north end, you know, just like Owens, that, that's the that's the north end doe group. Late season food plot, early season food plot up there. That north end is on fire. Anywhere from the 22nd of October to the 1st of November, it starts up there first. Every year that we've been hunting here, those deer start first. Then it moves to the middle of the farm, then it moves to the south end of the farm right before gun season. I don't know what it is. It's become so recognizable at times that it, when we used to have deer, Frank and I worried about killing the does because on that north end of the farm, when it would come in early, you know, that is the very best time of the year to kill a great big buck is that first doe. And we were always scared. We were, it, it happened like three years in a row and we killed them and we were scared almost to shoot the does because we were afraid we were going to kill the one that come in the heat first up there because it was so recognizable every year. But that, that is a, a very distinctive pattern on the farm. And another thing is, is as soon as there's any hunting pressure around the area, there's a couple big cedar thickets on the farm and you can just, it's like clockwork. The first, the second day of shotgun season, they just fill up with deer. I mean, those does have been coming to them food plots for 10 years in a row. They're, they're, they're fawns and they're fawns and they're fawns and they're fawns. It's ingrained in their mind. We're going in them thickets. It's safe. We never go in there, no matter what, except for shed season. That's the only time we go in there. I mean, there's 75% of the farm that we have we never step foot in, except shed hunting. And those deer historically go. I mean, it's a very distinct trend that that's what they're going to do. I mean, they're they're going to go in there. So so then, with you know, also talking about like deer movement and kind of trends. Over the years, I, I take it you have local deer that live on the, your farm all year round. Are they using the terrain the exact same every year, or are they altering by you know a couple yards, ten yards, twenty yards, fifty yards at all? Or for the most part, are they sticking true to the trail that's been there for you know thirty years? The does, the does are. are unbelievably patternable to the same spots they will stick to it and go down to the bucks you know a lot of the spots we hunt during the rut they're not so tight um because the very best spots on the farm like i said we can't hunt because a we don't have the best access and b the wind swirls in those spots so i'm sure in those tighter areas those bucks might use them a lot the same every year i mean i know they're in there at the same time because i get pictures of them going in and out of there and, and I know historically that they'll be there next year. You know, they, unless they get one in there, it's going to kick their butts and run them out, which does happen. They're going to be back in the same spot. But, um, you know, we just logged the whole farm three years ago. So we're kind of on a new learning curve right now because it has changed everything completely. I mean, it's like totally different farm. But still, it, you know, I'm not going to say the same trail, but vastly in the same 50-yard area, they're there very consistent year to year. Gotcha. And then, you know, they're, they're using the same, uh, areas now going to bucks and mature bucks, uh, to be exact or specific are bucks using the same bedding areas on your farm year after year after year. Yes. It, it seems like, yeah, for sure they do in the same areas. Now, if you, every one of them is different. So, so they're not always in the, in the same spot. But if you kill one, and it seems like you pay attention to one two or three years later that gets mature, and he gets back in that same area, the one you killed three years earlier was in, 
you can almost kill him in the same spot. It's like it's uncharacteristic how they get on the same pattern. You know, all their core areas overlap or, or, you know, they're, they're not all in the same spot. But it seems like once you get one back into that spot, he'll have a lot of the tendencies that the ones that the ones did three years ago that you shot. You can always kind of relate him to one that you killed. Yeah. If you pay enough attention to it. Right. Um, right. It, it, it's, it's kind of scary how they do it. Cause I don't know, you know, it's not like they're always father, son or something, but you know, they just genetically, they, they're the same makeup and, and they find that area and they use it the same. They try to come out of it the same. They, they kind of bed in it the same. They, they go to the food plots the same. You know, they go, it, it's, it's just crazy how patternable they can be. If you can find one that's like, and start putting it together to the one from the past, because you can almost right. get them in the same place. Right. So there's people out there who kind of, they they talk a lot about um, buck beds and identifying buck beds and hunting over buck beds, because, you know, the, you know, if you can find a buck bed, he's going to come back there every day. Now for me, I've never in the, on the, on my main farm that I've hunt, been able to identify a buck bed that is being used on such a regular basis that I can I can hunt over a specific bed and I think a lot of that has to do with the terrain being you know ups and downs and and uh, these valleys um it, it is an ag country but uh every wind I have a feeling that they're they're bedding in a different area with the wind in their favor not going back to the same specific bed do you feel that on your farm these deer have one specific area or they have multiple areas based off of the wind direction? I, I think they have multiple areas. I, you know, I paid close attention to Midwest Whitetail this year um, because, I, you know, Aaron Walbritton and those guys were doing that whole thing last summer on the buck beds and, and find them. And it looked like they had decent luck with it. Um, you know, they had great, you know, vast expanses of ground. They're hunting all that public land. Here, like I said, I, I can't hunt our best spots where they bed because they're bedding there for a reason. They pick you off because there's no access for you to get in there, and there's no right. – the wind's – you know, they got the wind. You know, like behind my house, if the wind blows out of the west, you walk down in that bottom, it's blowing out of the east. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's just a constant swirl. But, but as far as, like, even finding shed antlers in the same spots – in the same areas year in and year out. I've only ever had one deer that, that I know for sure had a singular bed that I believe he bedded in almost exclusively all the time. Yeah. And, and he was nine years old and Dustin DeCrew killed him two years ago when he was out here. And I found that deer sheds in the same spot. I mean, within a 10 foot area for three years in a row. Wow. And I think he bedded there. I, I, you know, it's a great spot on a ridge top. He could see a long ways. I'd say every time there was a west wind, any type of west wind, he was there. Because we never seen him, and we tried to hunt him back there, but you could not get in there. You, I had cameras back there. I had pictures of him in the daylight there. We'd never seen him. And the reason we didn't see him is because he was already in there when we got there. He could see you coming. He had the perfect spot to bed, and I think he stayed there all the time. But that is the only deer that I know that I've ever saw that is bedded in the same spot all the time. Now the same area, two or three acre spot. Yes. But the same bed, that's the only time I, I can say for sure that I had seen that. Right. Okay. So 
when you when you catch a deer, you know, you're you're sitting in a stand one night and you're like, oh shit, I got a big one. Here he comes. I I didn't you didn't kill him that night. But what is your thought process uh, moving forward for the rest of the year, as far as or for the rest of the season, trying to go after that specific buck? Man, I if it's a deer that I've got history with and I know that he's going to be in the area, I'm just going to wait him out. Yeah. I'm going to hunt him when the wind's right. I'm, I'm going to hunt him every chance that I get when the conditions are perfect. Cause the worst thing you can ever do is hunt one too much. If he's going to be there all the time. Now, you know, there's certain deer that we only get pictures of for a week at a time and we know he's going to show up to the right. And when he's there, we're going to go after him. If we see him, we're going to go right back in there the next day, same spot or close to the same spot. And we're going to keep hunting him until we a kill him or B blow him out because he's not going to stay there anyways. You know, you get those deer in the rut where they're, you know, they're only going to be there for, they, they show up for a week or two every year. You, you get pictures of them, you know, about the same time. It's when the, you know, the does in that area start coming heat here, they come. And I think people make big mistakes on, Hey, I just hunted there yesterday. I better leave it alone for three or four days before I go back in there. I think when you're, when you're sitting on one, if you've got good access, especially when you know that he's not going to be there for a long time, you got to get in there and go after him. Right. Now, if, if it's a deer that I know is going to stay around there, I won't push the limits too much because I don't want to blow him out of there. I'm, I'm just going to play cat and mouse. But if it's one that I know is going to be there two weeks, Frank and I is going in hell bent for election after him and if the wind's wrong we're taking hanging hunting and moving the other side of where we're at and trying to get him because he's going to be in there right so how do you know when you need to be aggressive are there any telltale signs uh, or versus you know we're going to wait him out well if we get an area and it's hot we go right back yeah you know if it if next it's morning hot, or we next got the evening right wind the very next hunt we'll just turn around and go right back in or we'll just sit there all day and we'll go right back in the next day um especially if there's you know a lot of times when that doe comes in there'll be four or five bucks there that aren't always there you know they're they're there you know but they don't that's not their home range they're just there because it's a rut and when that happens we try to some we, we used to stay out of it we used to only hunt once and then we'd stay out for three or four days because we didn't want to blow them out and and pressure them too much but when those deer are there that that don't normally that's not their normal home range i i feel like you, you know now we've changed our methods and we go after them we just get in there we try to use our best stands as the best access and we just try to wait we, we just try to get in there and go and go get them if it's wow. hot we hunt it because i th- i think in that you know it's a rut and in three days it's done wherever it happened right. at it's it's rocking and rolling for three days and, and then it seems like it dries up for a week you know that the does are they get on lockdown they're I know I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit of what I'm saying on staying out and waiting one out if he's a great big one and, and we know he's going to live there. Because a lot of times in great big deer, they've got a very small core area and, and they don't move near as much. Some of those, you know, three and four-year-old deer, right? you know, maybe five-year-old deer that we're hunting, they're still moving a ton. And, and if it's hot in that area, in that group of does, we, we stick with it. We try not to move too much. Okay. So talk, walk me through your, your run and gun set, you know, like, okay, well th- this giant steps out of nowhere. 
he's not local to my farm. Uh, we've seen we've seen him in this area. How do you how do you attack? Well, we usually have certain trees picked out. Um, we'll, like if we're in the stand and we see one and we know we're going to move, we'll, we'll look at it with binoculars and stuff and try to get where we think we need to be. But talk about it while we're sitting there. Right. Then we'll go in. We we normally try to do it middle of the day if we're going to move. And we'll grab, you know, we, we use lone wolf stuff. We'll grab sticks and a couple stands and we'll head in there with the camera and everything and assault and, and the pull saws and, and climb up the trees and get after and hunt him. Now, you know, a lot of times it's in spots that, that you know, might be far enough where you can't see. And in that case, we try to get in there where we think he's at and get in the first possible tree that we can get in. Cause sometimes, you know, they're, they're tight and you get too close to them and blow them out. And, and, you know, sometimes it might take a couple moves to get, to get in there closer but but we'll see the deer get all our stuff packed up talk about it look at it on on you know we use hunt stand light on our phones most of the time and we we look at it on there try to you know kind of see where we want to be according to where things look and then we just go for it just right. go in there and get after it and try to get you know if you get 16 foot up in the tree and you don't move a lot I, I try not to trim a whole lot i know a lot of guys go in and and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and try to kill them that first time I, I don't like cutting a ton. If I can find a tree that's 15 yards, if I find a tree that's in the perfect spot and I got to cut a bunch, I'd rather move 10 yards back or 15 yards back to where it's not maybe perfect, but I don't have to trim a lot, trim a lot and just get up in the tree. Right. Okay. Cause you can be up in there in half hour. No problem with two guys and right. not trimming. You, I mean, you can really be up there in 15 minutes and, and guys that have filmed a long time, with their stuff it you know and if you're not filming i mean there's guys on youtube that get i mean it's like three minutes they're up in the tree yeah. you know it's nuts with hanging their sticks off their harnesses and climbing up and yep. i mean you can get in there and do it yep so over the years you know i, I take it you know you've been successful but you've also failed quite a bit uh, as, <laughs> yes miserably as, <laughs> as any bow hunter does Talk to me about some of your biggest fails and then how you walked away from them with an like understanding and using it as a learning experience. My biggest fails. Well, for sure, the, the, the biggest fail that I ever had deer hunting was I shot 175 inch 10 point that we called Ernie. We had hunting for four years and I shot him twice in nine days and hit him both times and didn't kill him. And that is by far my biggest failure. Um, as a deer hunter, but I also learned a lot. Yeah. You know, when deer, you know, when you're deer hunting, you always got to learn, you know, anything in life, you got to learn from failures. That's the only way you become a good person. You fail, you learn more. Right. So So, obviously from a strategy standpoint, you ran into them, uh, two times in a nine day period. And, you know, you know, obviously a big mature buck is a creature all to their own, but then another wounded big mature buck is an even more, crazy animal right so right. so what is what is that learning experience i mean the failure isn't the strategy standpoint because you beat you beat it you beat the right buck, i but i knew what, i knew that deer was going to be there he historically 
I had just, he had a very small home range and I had had so many pictures of him even throughout the summer, always going through this gate opening. And I had like a, a three quarter acre soybean plot there. And Frankie and I had seen him there. Frank would have had a shot opportunity, but a guy drove down the road in a truck and run him off one night. I mean, over the years, we in, in, a, in a three-year time span, I had literally had, I'm not going to say a 1,000 pictures of him right there, but I had had probably 500. I mean, he was just there. And we had a really bad winter uh, three years ago, and it was super cold. And it was, it was in the beginning of, of January. It was before the ATA show. And I went in there and hunted him, and it started snowing. And I thought, man, this is it. It's yeah. going to happen. And Frankie and I was actually working on the same job. Frank's a union laborer, so we were working on the, on the same job. But he couldn't get out of work to go. So I grabbed the camera with myself, which I hate self-filming because – I, I just, it's too much going on at once for me. Like, I just can't, I'm not Todd Graff. I can't. Yeah, you need try. to take he, some he, tips he, from him. Right. I mean, I listen to the podcast every day and talking about it, and that's what he does. He, he, he's like Inspector Gadget. He takes so much stuff with him, you know. <laughs> I, I take the camera, the arm, and my bow, and that's as in-depth as we get. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. And so so it started snowing. He come out, and he was like 27 yards the most beautiful deer hunting footage that I've ever filmed. He had like a half inch of snow on his back. It was snowing hard and I let him stand there for 15 minutes. I was not shaking it at all. I had a hundred percent composure. I was good. I filmed him, never picked my bow up. I got calmed down. He, he had walked, I don't know, maybe 15 yards total in that amount of time. He was standing there at 20 yards. Um, you know, chip shot perfectly broadside i drew back and i dropped my arm when i shot and i shot right underneath him i I nicked him right behind the back leg on his brisket and if you watch the footage it actually hits him a couple inches up but it deflects and and Uh instead of punching in it just shoots you know it hits and kicks up and goes underneath his brisket right like it just falls the ribs down yep um and and i've always held low shooting deer because i always always have them drop now late season that normally doesn't happen they normally don't drop they're just their metabolism slowed down and i and i know that and i just i shot underneath of him and i knew i didn't kill him but we went in there next day and looked you know of course you have to yeah i i mean i i sat there that night and just was sick to death and and halfway crying and just i'd never hunted deer so hard in my life and i knew he was there and it all come together just like i had planned everything was perfect it was good to go and i botched the shot and went there next day um found blood for 200 yards found the arrow um that was it and uh i left for the ata show the next day had to deal with you know graph and czar and everybody and all the and everybody that knew about it you know being typical guys and give me a rash of shit about the whole time we were there (laughs) i come home and it gets crazy cold again it was the year we were in nashville remember when we were down there in nashville and all the pipes froze everywhere and stuff it was like crazy cold front i come home i head out there and all my beans were gone but just a few right in front of my blind and here and and i thought he would come back and i and i knew he was going to because i had pictures of him i go and check my camera he was there like not the night i hunt i missed him i hit him the first night went back and hunted him the next night just to try 
he was there the, the, the two nights after I shot him in the broad daylight out there eating yeah. beans again. So I went right back in after him. Here he come. He was like 15 yards this time. And I did the same thing again. Yeah. And, and that, what I learned from that is a, it's one thing to self film yourself shooting 130 inch deer, 140 inch deer when you've killed lots of them in your lifetime. Yeah. It's another thing to do it when you're hunting a caliber deer that is, is a giant or some, or a deer that just means is a huge goal that you've set for yourself. Um, and you know, to really pay attention to what time of the year it is when you're shooting, because late season, those deer just don't drop. They just don't right. no, Most of the time they don't. They, and you got to just remember what it is. And you know, that second shot I took on him, um, you know, he was quartering two a little bit. I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't have took the shot. You know, Zar and Todd beat me up on the web show about it. I think it was fine. I, I, I have took it again. Um, yeah, but you know, looking back, I probably shouldn't have, gotcha. but it's just, you know, it just goes to show you and, and everybody that's hunted long enough knows that when you're hunting a big deer there, you know, God has to put a lot of things in the right place at the right time for you to do it. And anytime you kill one, it's a blessing because there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in line and the stars have to align because right. there's so many things that can go wrong so fast and so easy and especially when you throw the camera into the mix that it's just it, it is a tough thing right um one other thing i took away from that is you know i i if i wouldn't have got pictures of that deer i would have never went back in there and hunted him because i i would have thought i shot him he left and then i went in there the next day and i know i went in his bedding area and blew him out right like i know i did i mean we were right in there where he lived and i would have never ever thought about going back in there yeah because i i but but deer like that that have a very very small home range you, you know they they that's all they know you know it's like yeah. that g3 deer that bill linky killed there a few years ago you know he shot that missed that deer hit the deer you know the year before and he killed him right back in the same spot yeah. you know that I, I can't remember exactly how it went down but that was kind of the same scenario a lot of times in great big deer get them small home ranges and that's all they know. And if they don't know, I think if they don't smell you, you're okay. If they smell you, I think you're done. They're not going to leave, but they're just not going to move until it's dark. Right. Right. Well, that's uh, something to think about. So, Mr. Clinton Fawcett, man, I appreciate you taking time to uh, do this interview, man. No problem, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. I mean, anytime you get a follow you know, the Todd Graff and the Justin Czar <laughs> on a web show, you, you know, it, it's a thing. It's an, it's an accomplishment in life. You know? <laughs> now you're big time, right? Yeah. Now I am, I'm going to go home and tell my wife, Hey, I'm big time. Uh, you can maybe quit your I'll job up, now. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll end up like you and Justin and, you know, tell her I'm big time tonight and I'll have a baby on the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Be careful, buddy. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, man, Dan, I sure appreciate it. It is, it has been a lot of fun and I, I listen to the podcast all the time and I sure appreciate you having us on here. Huge shout out to Clinton for coming on the podcast, taking time out of his day to do this. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for listening. And I say this every podcast because I mean it every time. Huge shout out to Exodus, Ripcord and Deer Lab. Uh, you know, without my partners, this is not possible. And other than that, hopefully everybody has a good week. Um, Mondays really do suck. So 
Hopefully this podcast has put a smile on your face. Other than that, have a good week. And hopefully some of this snow melts faster than it uh, or melts faster than it stays. And uh, we can get back out there and finish up our shed hunting season. So uh, if you are in the tree doing any type of hanging stands or taking them down, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.